Hey everybody, welcome back to Draco's Den, and we are here with our next episode, and today I decided, because I didn't have anything <clears throat> special planned to talk about, but needed to do a show this week, I decided to do a, a Q&A again. So, I got a bunch of questions that were submitted, or topics that were I was asked to give my opinion on, so that is... What today's show will be me answering listener requests and i will go ahead and say the topics will vary from you know questions about me you know fostering and parenting to wrestling to political movements and you know covid and everything i've gotten a little bit of everything so I'm just kind of going to randomly pick and choose questions that I was given and go from there and see how long this show winds up being because I don't know how long my responses will be yet either. So you get to uh, go on this lovely little carnival ride with me. And you know what? Just to get it out of the way, let's get all the wrestling shit out of the way first. So, now, as we know, I prefer not to go this in-depth on it, but apparently, some of you really like to hear me talk shit on wrestling, so I'm gonna. So, let's start out with the only bit of AEW that I'm fucking touching in this entire Q&A. And my two questions were... What are my thoughts about the elite putting the uh, world and the tag belts on themselves in AEW? And I'm going to start there. Okay, so I pretty much stated my opinion on the Young Bucks being tag champions. But for those that didn't hear that show or just want to hear it again, I think it was fucking stupid. I think that they made it obvious that they were going to do it when they put that stupid-ass stipulation on there of if they did not beat FTR, they would never be able to challenge for the tag team titles again. And see, the problem with that was, first off, you put that stake on a match that is your first ever meeting. And you, you two fucking idiots are complete blithering morons, right? So there's no way in the hell that you had the long-term, you know, booking ability to understand the corner you backed yourself into. You thought, because you're complete fucking simpletons, that you threw an extra stake on the match. First off, dumbass, those the, the only stakes that needed to be on the line for that match were the pride of which of you were the best tag team, and the tag title belts. Secondly, you fucking, if you had a half a fucking brain and you understood any fucking thing about wrestling, period, if you were half the tag team specialist that you thought you were, you would know that you shouldn't have gone over in the first encounter. Especially with one of you being injured and you're going up against the actual best tag team in the world who is heralded as the best by old-timers and new-timers alike. 
and they were supposed to be the heels, but you started turning yourself somewhat heel, so you made them look babyface. So in, on, no matter whether you played this match as heel or babyface, you actually made FTR like fucking morons too. You made them look like wimps, pussies. Because they've gone through everybody else in this tag division. As, as shitty as your tag division is, and, and for the record, AEW's tag team division is the drizzling shits. It's not WWE's form of drizzling shits because at least WWE actually has good working tag teams. Not a goddamn one of them knows how to do a hot tag, but they have tag teams on all three brands. I don't necessarily think they need three sets of tag titles. I honestly think they could have cut that down to two. Raw and SmackDown should just share a men's tag title and give NXT their own, but what the fuck ever. They have the roster and the depth on each roster to make tag titles. Whereas AEW has a bunch of really shitty tag teams. You have one real main event tag team, and that was FTR. Your first tag team champions were a randomly thrown together team of Kenny Omega and Adam Page. Is that his name? And... That never made any sense because y'all told us from the start that you were going to do something different than WWE did, and you did the one thing WWE tends to do, but it actually ends up working for them sometimes, but it didn't work for you. You randomly threw two singles competitors together and made them tag champs. Dumbass. So, when you finally get FTR, everyone's hope, everyone's hope... From Jim Cornette on down was that the tag team division would pick up because you had the best fucking tag team in the business in this company now. And if they were unfiltered and not held back by Vince McMahon wanting to give them a stupid ass comedy gimmick. Then surely the tag division AEW would pick up and be the best in the world, right? You had everyone hoping for this shit and you failed miserably. And then how do you get to a rematch? Because let's face it, and we're keeping this totally wrestling logic mind here. If FTR, being fully healthy, could not beat you two fucking grade school looking children, when one of you is injured, what grounds do they ever have to, to challenge you again? You've effectively killed off a tag team that is better than you because they're better than you. Because they draw more money than you. And if you're one of those AEW apologists that says, oh, the Bucks draw money. No, the fuck they don't. Jim Cornette is not the only person to bury the Young Bucks, okay? He's not the only one that sees them as nothing fucking special. T no one in TNA thought they were anything special. No one else in ROH really thought they were anything special, aside from some of you dumbass fans. Uh, I don't even think they got a shot at WWE. They went over to Japan and did absolutely nothing. Their claim to fame is that they throw 52 goddamn super kicks in every son of a bitch in match and will throw every single supposed wrestling move that they think they know into the span of one match. They will hit you with everyone else's finisher. From the super kick to fucking power drivers and power bombs and shit that they really should be able to do because they're like five foot seven. I don't know how tall they really are, but they're really fucking short. They're small. I do not believe either one of those two pussies could beat anybody in a legitimate fight because they can't. 
They're not talented. They don't cut a decent fucking promo. But for some reason, you dumb fucks think because they throw 52 super kicks in one match that they are the best tag team in any sense of the word. No. I would rather sit and watch a legitimate backyard wrestling match than to watch a Young Bucks match. So them being the fucking world tag team champions and what in the company that thinks that it is competition to Vince McMahon is actually kind of funny. And the real loser in this was obviously FTR. You left WWE because you said Vince McMahon didn't understand you. He understood that you could work, but he was trying to put you into a comedy gimmick and make you do weird shit and, you know, basically turn you into a joke. How much more did Tony Khan pay you to become a joke? Because you're a fucking joke now. Sorry. I like FTR, but everything about the buildup to the match between them and the Young Bucks was fucking stupid, and the actual outcome of the match was stupid. And I'm disappointed that after all the shit that they talked about how they were done in WWE, that you went over to AEW and let the fucking Young Bucks neuter you worse than anything Vince McMahon could have saddled you with. That's my opinion on the Young Bucks being tag champions. Now, Kenny Omega as the world champion. I'm going to bury the fucking shit out of this. So, Jeremy, you're getting what you want here. Why? Why anyone would make this simpering, finger-pointing twat waffle their champion of anything is beyond me. If you actually pay attention to his match and compare it to any halfway decent wrestler, you can tell that this motherfucker was never formally trained. He looks at things and figures, oh, I can do the move, but doesn't understand why you do the fucking move. He's clearly never been in a fight in his life because he throws the drizzling, he throws a shittier punch than the fucking Bella Twins. I would rather watch a Bella Twins match than Kenny Omega. Because you know what the Bella Twins are at least smart enough not to do? Not to point at the goddamn ropes every fucking time they run to hit them. They don't do that run-skip shit across the, the, to hit the ropes. They don't do that ultimate warrior-esque shake that only, by the way, for every young wrestler out there, if you're an ultimate warrior fan, first off, why? Secondly, if you are, that shaking the ropes shit only works for him. The hulking up thing only works for Hulk Hogan. So when you get this little simpering fucking twat waffle that's all of five foot eight, five foot nine, and maybe 200 some pounds, I don't know how fucking much he weighs. I really don't give a shit. But I'm pretty fucking sure if I walked up to him right now and I punched him in the nose, all he would be able to do is sit there and say, ah, my nose. And you want me to believe that this simpering fuckwit is in you fucking indie darlings minds the best wrestler in the world he's not even a wrestler i like the term cosplay wrestler because that's what the hell he is he was not formally trained we've heard the stories if you bother to do your research about how he went to the training camp of arguably one of the greatest world champions of all time harley race who was a phenomenal fucking trainer by all regards because he's had quite a few talents come out of his school before he passed away that were very, very good, right? And he's Harley fucking race. If Harley race basically tells you you suck and get the fuck out of my, my place, you suck. Okay? If Harley race is telling you this thing that you're doing where you point at the fucking ropes, the way you hit the ropes, and all that shit is wrong, maybe you should change 
what you're doing because that man has made far more money for the wrestling business than Kenny Omega ever will. And for those of you that are like, well, he was great over in New Japan. No, dumbass. No, 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 no. He had a couple of really good matches over there with talent that were better than him and could make him look halfway decent because he is athletic. I'll give the little dipshit that. But nothing about him will draw in the United States of America because it hasn't been drawing. Notice, AEW has come over a million viewers maybe twice, and that was the second time, I believe, was only when they were unopposed. So there was no NXT on that night to fuck with their ratings. Kenny doesn't draw. Kenny's not bringing in any new viewers. He's not selling merchandise at an exponential rate. There was no reason to put your world championship on him. And this, therein, lies the problem that has been pointed out, and I'm going to point it out because I like this point. AEW is not going to really succeed in the way that some of you people hope it will succeed for the simple reason that every one of the executive vice presidents is one of the boys, and then there's Brandy, who inexplicably feels the need to be on TV all the fucking time. And Tony Khan has no backbone. You promised us a sports-based presentation. The win-loss records don't mean shit. Even though you keep touting them on your website, what the fuck is the point in keeping track if you don't actually use them to determine contenders? You promise and you under-deliver every time you make a promise. A few weeks ago, didn't you tell us that you, there was going to be something on Dynamite that would change the face of wrestling? And what happened was that Pac, formerly known as Adrian Neville or Neville in WWE, made his return. I'm sorry. He's a very good wrestler. But Pac is not going to draw any kind of money that will suddenly change the landscape of professional wrestling. Okay? Nothing he does is going to change how wrestling works. He's not... While he's a credible wrestler, he's very athletic, and could could be used in a, a close-to-the-top position, he's not going to draw any new fans. He's not going to change the landscape. He's not going to suddenly let your ratings jump up to the level of Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown's ratings. You're still stuck in the same place. You over-promised and under-delivered. And here's the thing, stupid ass. Maybe try keeping shit a surprise like you did with the Sting thing. But let me circle back to the Elite. Kenny Omega as world champion is the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry. There is nothing anyone can say that will convince me that he will be anything worthwhile as champion. I guess he's a heel now. Why we give a shit is beyond me because he acts identical. When he's healed and he's babyface, he's a simpering twat who can't fucking talk. So I'm sorry. I'm not going to ever be excited about anything Kenny Omega does. Him being world champion is kind of funny. The fact that the elite have now held every championship except the FTW belt in AEW is a kind of a big fat I told you so. You know how a lot of y'all like to rag on Triple H for 
making, you know, campaigning and politicking to be champion and how he, you know, the last title reign he had, he was actually the COO or whatever the fuck his title is now of WWE and he made himself WWE champion so that he could go to WrestleMania and lose to Roman Reigns in an effort to make Roman bigger. How do none of you see that the elite are doing the exact same thing that we have buried Triple H for doing for years? And they actually have more control than Triple H had. Triple H could only suggest, well, hey, maybe the world title should come back to me. And Vince McMahon frequently took the bitch off him. Like, hey, you know what? This guy's a little bit hotter than you. Let's put it on him. Y'all buried Triple H for years. You AEW fanboys, y'all are the types that bury Triple H and would, if Triple H came back right now and said, you know what? This thing that we got going on with Roman or this thing that we got going on with Drew, it's not working. I could draw better. Let me make, let me take the belt. Even if you took it off Finn Balor, you'd be like, oh, okay. You would bury the hell out of him. But each and every executive vice president in AEW, with the exception of Brandy, has been champion and I'm kind of surprised they haven't found a way to put the women's belt on her. I'm unimpressed. And I'm going to remain unimpressed. And I also was asked, how do I feel about Sting coming into AEW? I don't. Now, before y'all think I'm just ragging on AEW, here is my problem. Sting cannot wrestle anymore. And you did not bring him in to be an on-air authority figure, which would have made at least a modicum of sense. He came out in full gear, full gimmick. I don't remember what the fuck he did. I don't really give a shit. Y'all were so enamored with his music. Oh, it's so much better than WWE's. It's generic goddamn theme music. What the fuck do you mean? And his WWE theme was not actually that bad. His run wasn't as good as it should have been because he really didn't need that loss to Triple H. And that move with Seth Rollins was not necessary. Sting can cover for Seth all he damn well wants to. At the end of the day, that damn buckle bomb is unnecessarily dangerous and shouldn't really be done. Because he kind of keeps injuring people with it. Just saying. It's not really... It's unnecessarily dangerous. Okay? So, Sting being over in AEW is would seem like a great thing for them. And obviously it has been. He's been moving merchandise and shit already. And kudos to Tony Khan. You managed to keep this one secret. Now, this one, if you had promised, you know, some kind of change, might have been a little close to on the money. Changing the, the way wrestling is going or whatever the fuck than doing it for Pac a few weeks ago. But at the end of the day, what is Sting going to contribute? Is he go- Is anyone in the locker room actually going to listen to him? Is Sting going to be able to tell them, hey, you know this thing that you're doing where your match is held at 50 miles per hour and y'all literally do every wrestling move you've ever seen done anywhere within the span of 10 to 20 minutes? Yeah, that shit doesn't draw any money. It's boring. It doesn't. It doesn't draw any new fans. Older wrestling fans that watched wrestling in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even the early 2000s will not watch the shit that we watch now. So my question becomes, what is Sting going to do to add value to AEW? 
he might draw a couple of interested fans in because he's Sting. He is a legend. He is an icon. He was the face of WCW. All that shit is accurate. And he's back on TNT. Nobody gives a fuck about that, by the way. Who the fuck watches TNT anyway? I don't. But as far as what I think on Sting being there, I question why he chose to sign a multi-year deal with him. I don't know what the dates were. I just know that I saw a you know something from fucking Meltzer saying that he signed a multi-year deal. But why? You're in your 50s. At this point, there is nothing Sting really has left to do in the ring. The Undertaker match is clearly not happening. Sting can't wrestle anymore. The Undertaker has decided before his body shuts completely the fuck down, he's done. He wants to be able to enjoy the rest of his life and, you know, enjoy his wife and his children. So that match is gone. There are no other dream matches left for Sting if he could compete. And then to hear that he basically has a no contact rule where he can do something to you, but you can't do anything to him. Well, what the fuck good is he? Like, you guys need an on-air authority figure. If you were going to bring him in to do that, that would take some of the heat off your executive vice presidents who conveniently make their own goddamn matches. Since, I mean, Tony Khan has yet to make himself an on-air character to, you know, lay down a law because he probably sounds like a simpering fucking moron when he talks. I don't know. Anybody ever heard him speak publicly? I am not excited about Sting being there because I just don't see what I don't see the point. His in-ring career is done. He's not coming in as an authority figure. He's not training anybody because no one trains anyone there. And if they say they do, they're fucking lying because y'all do the same dumbass shit every fucking night. So I don't see where any training is actually paying off. And I mean, I'll watch, I'll, I'll read results like I have been and see if anything changes, but I don't see, you know, while normally Sting is in fact a ratings draw, I don't know that he'll be able to, to pull that much into AEW when he can't go in the ring anymore. Now, unless Meltzer is completely fucking lying or was misinformed and somehow AEW decided to medically clear Sting when WWE's doctors fucking refused to clear him, which is possible. I mean, I have a, a friend who has made a joke that uh, Sting came in to die on top of an AEW wrestler so that he can be the first inductee into their Hall of Fame. And, I mean, he can't take any bumps if they accidentally bump him they might fuck something up like uh, i don't know i don't see the big point i don't see the point in in him signing anywhere long term like that and if he's going to be there on a regular why that is money that i mean and i know we might say well tony khan is a billionaire first off his dad is the billionaire secondly just because you have all this money doesn't mean you should just be throwing it at people because as much as he tries to say he doesn't want to do the same thing WCW did, he doesn't want to be WCW, well, you're just throwing money at random motherfuckers that you kind of like, some of whom might draw some money, like Sting, some of whom won't draw shit, like the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Just saying, 
Like the, the structure in this company is just fucked and it's annoying to watch. It's annoying to have to review and y'all know I hate this shit and I'm going to continue to hate it because it sucks and no one is changing my mind. AEW has done nothing to change my mind. Sorry, not sorry. Oh yeah, I forgot. There was another wrestling um, question that in my rant about AEW, I forgot to add this part about AEW that pisses me off. Um, my dear brother asked, if you were a wrestler, how would you feel about putting over Orange Cassidy? I would never. I would never, ever, ever agree to put over in any way, shape, or form a motherfucker that is so stupid that he thinks it's cool to supposedly wrestle with his hands in his pockets because I grew up with wrestling supposed to basically be fighting. It's a simulation of fighting, right? It's worked, but it's supposed to be a worked fight. At no point in my life, in all of the fights that I have ever been in, and I've been in some doozies, have I ever walked up to a motherfucker that I knew was going to punch me with my hands in my pocket? If I'm with, around a motherfucker that, that seems to be slightly aggravated, I'm not putting my hands in my pocket. I need to be able to defend myself. You can't defend yourself if your hands are in your pocket. Sure, you might duck one or two, but eventually they're going to knock you the fuck out. So the idea of putting over a wrestler such as Orange Cassidy, actually, let me rephrase it. The idea of putting over a joke such as Orange Cassidy, if I were a wrestler, is laughable because a real wrestler would refuse. You would not work with someone as fucking stupid as Orange Cassidy. If you were told, if you walked into AEW and, and Tony Khan said, hey, tonight you got to wrestle Orange Cassidy for 20 minutes, I'm going to wrestle him for 60 seconds. What? Why? Because the dumbass wrestles with his hands in his pockets. So the moment he puts his hands in his pockets, I'm going to knock him the fuck out. And I'm going to pin him. And he would argue, and I'm like, no, no, no. You said this was a sports-based representation, right? In a sport, in the UFC, if a motherfucker sticks his hands in his pockets, which I know their trunks normally don't have pockets, but let's say for, for instance, they bought a pair of trunks with a fucking pocket in it, right? If Randy Couture had stuck his hands in his pockets, would he have been successful? Would he be the legend in the UFC that he is now? What about Anderson Silva? Chuck Liddell, any of them? Would UFC be where it is if any motherfucker stuck his hands in his pockets when he got into the octagon? Absolutely not, because it would just be a whole lot of that dumb motherfucker getting knocked the fuck out. So that's what I would do to Orange Cassidy. Especially if I were a wrestler on the level of a Chris Jericho or a Cody Rhodes. I'm not going to wrestle a motherfucker with his hands in his pockets competitively. You are a joke. You are a job guy. You are here to get clotheslined out of your fucking shoes and pinned. You are here to make my finisher look good, whatever it may be. But what you're not going to do is wrestle with me competitively when you stick your hands in your pockets. 
What I, as a wrestler of any level, would not tolerate is that shit. See, that's the time where you turn a work into a shoot to prove a point to the promoter. Because guess what? If one of you would shoot on a stupid little motherfucker, just knock him the fuck out, hold his damn shoulders to the mat, curl him up in a little fucking ball, just hold his shoulders there, one, two, three. The pop that you'd actually get from the fans would probably make Tony Khan realize, oh, maybe, just maybe, stupid-ass gimmicks don't sell anymore. You know, for those of us that were around in the mid-90s, when every fucking wrestler that debuted in the WWE had a stupid-ass gimmick, you know, we had, uh, what was it? I don't even remember their names. They were so bad. But you had one, you had the trash guys, you had the fucking... Uh, the hockey goalie and all that shit. Remember how wrestling nearly died? Because if you were around in the mid-90s, you remember this. Business was at an all-time low. Because Vince thought, hey, I'm going to give everybody a stupid-ass fucking gimmick and I'm going to put them on a damn TV and nobody's going to sell anything. And WCW was, well, fucking WCW. It was stupid. We're at the same point. Tony Khan swears he's not going to run like WCW. But if you look at his roster right now, it's kind of like WCW. When they decided to, you know, when Bischoff came in and was like, oh, I can do what Vince does. And that's what you're doing. But you're not doing it very well. Like, let's face it. You guys are the uphill or the underdog here. Y'all are in the uphill battle. Because Vince McMahon's spot, the WWE spot at the top is assured. You can bitch, complain, and whine all you fucking well want to. But unless the government has to come in and shut his whole damn company down, you're not knocking Vince McMahon off the top. So, if you want to call yourself competing with him, try not doing what he does, but doing it far, far, far worse. Because say what you want about Vince McMahon, but there is no point in which I can see Vince McMahon allowing Orange Cassidy to work for him under that gimmick. Not just the name, but the idea that you're going to stand your unimportant, unintimidating, unremarkable ass in the middle of his ring and stick your hands in your pockets and you're going to hit the ropes with your hands in your pockets and you're going to occasionally dive off the top rope with your hands in your pockets. Pretty sure Vince would fire him on the spot. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if Vince hit the damn ring on him because he's that fucking stupid. So as a wrestler, what I and at one point, for those of you that know me, I did consider going in to be a wrestler. Was even, you know, signing up for training school and everything. At no point would I have walked in the locker room to be told that I had to put Orange Cassidy over and actually have been willing to do it. I would have quit or I would have had to do a shoot on him. But no fucking way am I putting over a guy that has his hands in his pockets. You're not a wrestler. You're a fucking joke. And I know that that particular question was distinctly aimed to get me to rant on him. And there you go, Jeremy. There is your rant. I fucking hate Orange Cassidy. There is nothing redeeming about him. He can't talk. He's not. He's athletic enough, I guess. But he has no psychology. Can't even hit the goddamn ropes right. All he does is stick his hands in his pockets. And every, every fucking angle that has him in it is stupid. The most recent one, apparently, there's a whole brawl that got started over a fucking him coming in and 
turning off a video game. Now, I'm going to disagree slightly with Jim Cornette on this one. While I agree in real life that I will smack the fuck out of anybody that comes in and turns my video game off in the midst of me playing it, it ain't going to be a long, drawn-out fight, though. Secondly, in wrestling, that is not important enough to start a brawl. I'm sorry. Like, even I have to admit, if I smack the shit out of someone for turning my game off, I'm being childish when I do it, but you provoke the childish response out of me with your childish-ass action. But on my wrestling program, that's not what I want to see two grown-ass men supposedly fight about, or four grown-ass men, however fucking many it was, I don't know. Nothing about Orange Cassidy is redeeming to me. I think he's the drizzling shits. And... Any wrestler that has put him over is a moron. That includes Chris Jericho. I'm sorry. You don't work main event programs with joke talent when you were supposed to be a main event talent unless I can only conclude Chris Jericho doesn't give a shit anymore. He figures that the wrestling business must be dead and he didn't have to act like a wrestler anymore. So he's just going to do all the dumb joke shit and be done. And I would rather you go right the fuck off into retirement than continue to make a mockery of yourself by working with the likes of Orange Cassidy. I know he's not working with him now, but, I mean, you did it once. MJF now has to work with the dumb motherfucker next week. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, it, nothing with Orange Cassidy should be competitive. It shouldn't be done. I wouldn't put him on TV. If I had to wrestle the motherfucker, if I was a wrestler, I, again, I would just either shoot on him or I'm quitting. I'm not putting him over. And let's face it, AEW does not have enough main event talent for them to lose any main event talent. So there, there's your rant. There's your Orange Cassidy shit, asshole. Now, another wrestling-related question here, and this one's a little different for me. So this one is a WWE question, and, it, and I was asked, do you feel that the Street Profits are a watered-down version of Crime Time? There's a second question here, but I'm, I'm going to address that, that portion first. I never thought of it that way. I kind of like the Street Profits, but they're too goofy. And it's not a natural goofy. It is a forced goofy. You are trying to be entertaining. And as such, you make me cringe and mute the fucking TV when you start to speak. Crime Time was a little more organically funny and entertaining. I did agree with everything that was done with them, like the fact that they were never, in fact, the World Tag Team Champions in WWE at all. When there were several points where it's like, okay, no, put the fucking belts on them. They were the hottest team you had. And they actually were good in the ring. But a watered-down version, I can't say that I would agree with that assessment. I will say that much like Crime Time was a stereotype of black people, the Street Profits are also a stereotype of black people. Now, granted, the Red Cup thing... That's something that we all do. We buy that shit for parties. Those are the drinking cups. The problem is, on a PG program where we know you motherfuckers aren't allowed to drink on camera any goddamn more, um, 
it's out of place. And for example, the older generation of white guys in wrestling did not get what the fuck those cups were supposed to be. And even some of the younger ones don't fully understand. But it is a stereotype. The way that they act is very stereotypical. Kind of the way the noonday are coons. And I'm not retracting that statement at all. They coon for the camera. That's what their gimmick is. They think they're being themselves. I say you're being a fucking coon because you're dancing and doing a jig and all that shit for the white man. Stop that shit. Street profits, on the other hand, are another stereotype. That's the one commonality I see with them and, and crime time. The difference, the other difference is that unlike with crime time where they never got the belts, Street Profits have gotten, I'm only counting two title reigns. Fuck y'all. That whole swapping the Raw and SmackDown, no, that's not a new fucking title reign to me. That's one consistent fucking title reign. One consistently stupid fucking title reign. I think if Shad were still here, I wouldn't mind seeing a match between the two teams just because I feel like the match itself would be good. And maybe Crime Time could teach them how to do a hot tag because Lord fucking knows no one in WWE currently understands what it is. And I'm going to harp on it because now that I see it and understand what a hot tag is, every time I see what WWE calls a hot tag, I die a little more inside. But I don't see... I see that the Street Profits have a gimmick that is, just like Crime Time's, going to be on a limited time scale of being able to work. Assuming that they never get split up, which at this point, I would never split them up. I don't see them right now really working on a singles level completely separate from each other. Maybe give them a couple of mid-card reigns like you did the Hardys back in the day before Jeff kind of blew up and actually became a megastar. But I don't see either one of the two of them really hitting that point. So I would never break them up, but they will at some point need to change the gimmick because it's going to get dated really fast. It has, it's one of those gimmicks that is going, it's over right now, but eventually it's going to get very old. Now, of course, they could freshen it up and give it a little bit more life, you know, down the road if they do a heel turn, maybe. But even then, I kind of feel like they need to, they'll need to do what the Usos do and reinvent themselves when they start to get a little stale or their act starts to cool off a little bit in order to keep their gimmick going. Crime Time's gimmick was a limited time gimmick too. And when it ran its course, and basically they had been killed off because they had had too many damn tag title shots and not won the damn belts, it was time to split them up. Sheree Prophet doesn't have that part of the problem because they've won the belts already, but it'll still get old. Kind of like Crime Time did get old. And they'll need to evolve or else they'll be separated and die out and get fired too. Which I'd rather not see happen. Athletically, I think they're both great. I just think that they should... God, their fucking promos suck. Just my personal opinion. Now, on to the other question that was asked. How do you feel about the direction of the Roman storyline? 
This is what Vince should have done with Roman years ago at several different points. He could have turned him and he's heel at any point, you know, when he was in the feud with Triple H, when Triple H was getting cheered like a baby face anyway, might as well have turned Roman heel. After he beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania and was kind of sort of bragging about being the second man to beat him and, and, and being the man to put him in retirement and all that shit, should have turned him heel then. But is what it is. He's finally turned him heel now. And look, people are gravitating towards it because now he's interesting. I don't know how scripted his promos are or how much, you know, do they just give him bullet points since he's a top star and he's, you know, kind of finding himself or, you know, maybe they give him bullet points because now he's got Paul Heyman there to help out. I don't know. But I'll say this. Roman right now is the most interesting thing to wrestling in wrestling to me. And I know one of my particular friends will disagree with this because you just don't like Roman. I don't give a shit. He's freshened up. You know, he's he's turned heel and he's done it in a way that makes sense. The head of the table thing works because, let's face it, there's only one Samoan still living that can outdraw Roman, and that's The Rock. But as far as being the kind of bread and butter of the family, that makes sense because Roman's the top draw in the company. Whether you fucking like it or not, he's the top draw. He's the top guy. I'm okay with that. I like that the feud with him and Jay was what it was. I didn't believe at any point when, you know, it was a surprise when Jay won the number one contender spot in the first place. And at no point did I believe that Jay would win the belt from Roman. But you kind of wanted him to from a fan standpoint, and not the fan, the smart fan, but thinking as a fan, you kind of want him to because Roman was being a dick. He was talking down to him, he was belittling him, and it's like, okay, no, I really want Jay to win that belt. I like the way they did everything. I liked the way they built up to the I Quit match, and the way they ended it worked. I like this storyline. I like the possibilities that it opens. You know, who I mean, is that rumored match with The Rock at WrestleMania really going to be a thing? Can Rock make time for it? You know, with all the movies and the XFL and all that shit, does he have the time to come in and do another job in WWE? Would he actually do the damn job, or would he be the one to have to come in and smack Roman down in his place? Would that be in a, a longer storyline with The Rock coming in, winning the Universal Championship to shut Roman Reigns the fuck up? And Roman having to work his way back up to the Rock by SummerSlam or Survivor Series or the next year's WrestleMania, whoever the fuck, who cares? How will they go with it? See, I have more questions than I have answers, and I like that. I mean, there's another direction there they could go. You know, the Samoans could just be dominating the fuck out of everything, and someone else has to step up at WrestleMania to try to tame the big dog to remove the head of the table. They have to work their way up. They have to win the Rumble. They have to do, you know, get through the Usos and all that shit. Who could that be? It could be Drew McIntyre if he, you know, loses the WWE title and enters the Rumble and they switch in brands, which I'm not necessarily advocating for, but it would kind of work. There's, there's already beef there between him and Jay and him and Roman. 
like there's long standing beef between him and Roman in storyline that could work. Or is there someone else that will catch fire in between now and WrestleMania and have to be elevated to that spot? I don't know who the fuck that would be, but hey, shit happens. There is uncertainty in the storyline. And there's multiple ways that they can go with it. And I, as a fan, not be turned off and actually be moderately interested in it. Like, I am almost willing to watch SmackDown just for the storyline with Roman Reigns. Now, I don't want to see a lot of the other shit. I don't really give a flying fuck what Sami Zayn is doing. It's kind of funny, but not something I would purposely tune in to watch. And who the fuck is... uh, I mean, you know, I always love to watch the women, you know, but not enough where I'd go out of my way to watch it, but I'm almost there. Like, depending on where the storyline with Roman goes, I might be a little bit more willing to at least watch SmackDown. And now, now, to be fair, if I watch it and it's stupid, I'm going to burn the shit out of it the same way I've done with, you know, I did with most of the Survivor Series and the same way I will continue to do anytime you people force me to watch AEW. But there's possibility there. So I like the Roman storyline. And I'm kind of interested to see how far they go? How long will Vince be willing to keep Roman heel? How long can Roman stay heel without stagnating, without getting uninteresting? What else can he do to evolve his character? And for God's sake, the one thing, the one criticism I have about Roman's storyline currently, can someone, fucking anyone, tell Vince to change his damn entrance music from that damn S.H.I.E.L.D. music? Okay, the shield is done and never getting back together because fucking Ambrose is, is Moxley now and over in AEW bitching and complaining about how he was misused in WWE. But uh, yeah, he's been really moving the ratings over there as the world champion. Just saying. Point being, I would love it if Roman would change his music and, and find something. I don't want it to be sound distinctly heel. He needs a thing that gets a reaction that's not the shield thing which probably means WWE needs to hire fucking anyone but whoever is making their music currently to make a new theme for Roman, but that would make my day. One last um, wrestling note here, because I was asked this question. So I was asked for my thought on um, Triple H saying something about WWE possibly working with other wrestling promotions. And... I had to go read what exactly he said. And basically, you know, he he mentions the promotions that they have worked with in recent years, such as Progress, ICW, and Evolve. And I'm pretty sure they fucking bought all of them. Um, Or at least they bought Evolve. Um, And he basically, his statement is really basically saying, we're open to the idea as long as it's the right business opportunity and it's beneficial to WWE in the long term. And by long term, he's not meaning in three to six months. He means long term as in 10, 15 years from now. Is it still beneficial? And he credited Vince McMahon a lot for that thought. And there was stuff about the pacing of NXT and how it's going down. I don't give a shit about all that. So what people latched on to is, oh, Triple H says WWE is willing to work with other promotions. So I'm going to point out 
I'm, a, I'm going to burst some bubbles in case you were thinking, oh, well, he sees AEW as such a threat. Now he wants to get in good with him. No, the fuck he doesn't. Vince has always worked with outside companies. Don't believe me? Let's go back to the 90s. Two companies that he worked with. Three, actually, that I can, that I can think of now. But two of them were actually companies still, you know, operating on a fairly large scale. Smoky Mountain Wrestling, ECW. He also, technically, after the NWA was no longer WCW, had a thing with them too. Now, the storyline was stupid and ruined by Vince Russo, and it was kind of a rib, and it was fucking dumb. But let's look on the more, on more long-term ones. He worked with Smoky Mountain pretty much all during its run. He worked with ECW pretty much the, you know, the last several years of its run before he ultimately bought it out, right? Vince is not opposed and never really has been opposed to working with other companies where you have him fucked up is if you think you're he's going to work with you and you call yourself his competition. And at least in WCW's case, they actually were his competition. AEW is not. Sorry. Not sorry. But in case you thought that this would lead to some cross-promotion between them, no. Vince is going to work with what benefits him in 10 to 15 years, as Triple H said. Think about it this way. Vince McMahon still makes money off of Smoky Mountain Wrestling and especially ECW. He had the vision. He didn't know it would come to fruition the way that it did of having his own station to air his content on, which now is the WWE Network. He is continually making money off all these promotions that he bought out, and, and these are promotions that he was working with. It actually, let's add to the list of promotions that he worked with. Does anyone member, remember USWA, which was basically Memphis Wrestling? The mis Most people may have forgotten this, but the Mr. McMahon character was not, in fact, born in on WWE television. There is a precursor to him being the evil Mr. McMahon character on Memphis TV. Did a whole little invasion angle having some of his top guys go down there in Memphis and be on their TV. Same as he did with Smoky Mountain. Same as he sort of did with ECW. Uh, There's more ECW being allowed to come to him, but he did send Jerry Lawler and Jim Cornette down there. He sent a couple others. It's not surprising that Vince is open to working with other companies. He's not going to work with AEW because they have the balls to bash him at every opportunity like they would be able to exist without him setting the precursor. Just being real. Because one of their executive vice presidents only has a name because he worked in WWE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did some shit in, in Japan, and he did some shit in, in TNA, and he did some shit in ROH, and he did some shit in the NWA. Great, fine, dandy. But you started in the WWE, dude. The Cody Rose name was made in the WWE. Then you went to those places. And of the executive vice presidents, he's definitely the most successful. Just saying. So... Him working, you know, Triple H saying that they're willing to work with other companies. Yeah, they are. And let's not forget, they have made deals 
with other companies in the past that are still running. Impact Wrestling, formerly better known as TNA, did they or did they not make a deal to get Ric Flair to be allowed to be inducted in their Hall of Fame while he was still under active contract to TNA, but they wanted to induct the Horsemen? They further made deals with Impact Wrestling to use footage to do their, you know, documentaries or whatever the hell for Kurt Angle and shit for AJ Styles. They've made deals with ROH to get footage on Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan and Sami Zayn and whoever the hell else worked in ROH. CM Punk. It's not beyond the realm of possibility. It's not even news that WWE is willing to work with other companies. They're just not going to work with AEW. Because AEW all their talent does. Those that have worked for Vince in the past, all they do over there is bury Vince. Oh, Vince is out of touch. Vince was still making you money. He may be out of touch. Kind of hard to argue against that point. But that out of touch old man is still kicking y'all's asses. That out of touch old man has still provided us the wrestling that we know for the longest period of time. Yeah, yeah, you can say having a monopoly on it kind of is detrimental to business. What the fuck ever. Point of the matter is, most of us, especially now, you know, in my age group, we grew up on WWE, WWF, whatever. Vince McMahon is the reason a lot of us are wrestling fans. Whether you want to admit that shit or not, your first taste of wrestling if you're in America, was probably, let's put it this way, if you were born in the late 80s, 90s, or 2000s, your first taste of wrestling came from Vince McMahon, more than likely. Maybe it was NWA or WCW. And it, I guess in a small subsection, it might have been fucking ECW. Maybe. Whatever. But hell, Either way, you kind of have Vince McMahon to thank for, it, for this. So, I don't find it surprising that Vince and Triple H are like, yeah, we'll work with other companies, because they will. They have, repeatedly. Again, WCW, or not WCW, but ECW, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, USWA, ROH, TNA, Evolve, Progress, ICW, all. you have a bunch of different companies that they've been willing to work with in the past. Now, sure, you could say that a lot of those were never going to be a threat to him. Well, that just kind of makes sense. From a business standpoint, it, it makes sense. You know, you're not, does, you know, Apple work with fucking Samsung like that? No. You know, does uh, Bank of America work with Citibank? No. You don't work with your competitors directly like that. But motherfuckers, there's like, okay, you have your niche thing, and I can use bits and pieces of that, and I can provide you something so that you keep doing what you do in your little area. Okay, that works. So no one should be surprised. No one should expect WWE to suddenly start working with AEW. 
we should expect, I would not be surprised to see some cross promotion with, at this point, Ring of Honor. Because Ring of Honor is not working with AEW. For whatever reason. I could see there being cross promotion with the NWA or MLW. Court Bauer, who owns MLW, used to work for WWE. And apparently has been on a fairly friendly relationship with WWE because, I mean, they're, they're not competition. They're an alternative. A, a smaller alternative, but they're an alternative. The NWA, even though they've done some work with AEW, let's be real, the bulk of the NWA history's library, video library, is under Vince McMahon's control. So, I mean, I could see more benefits to the NWA trying to work with Vince and being will. And I don't, I don't see any reason why Vince or Triple H would feel threatened by the NWA. Again, it's an alternative type of wrestling with what they were doing with the studio thing. I don't know what the fuck they're doing now. And, you know, it's, it's not the way that Vince would present wrestling necessarily. So it's not a threat to him. It's not like. Billy Corgan is not trying to do what Vince McMahon does on a shoestring budget. He's trying to do wrestling. He needs to steer the fuck clear of AEW, to be quite perfectly honest, but whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I would like to see who Triple H is, you know, so willing for them to work with. My money would be on MLW, NWA, or ROH. I don't think they're going to do shit else with Impact Wrestling because... Frankly, no one should do anything with Impact Wrestling. I've, I've, I've had the displeasure of watching some of their recent shit, and Jesus Christ. It, it's, it's hard to say this, but it's actually worse now than it was under Russo. At least when Russo was there, it was something that semi-resembled a wrestling product. This shit that Impact Wrestling does now, I... I don't understand why AEW... Well, no, I understand why AEW wants something to do with it because Tony Khan's a fucking money mark. But Vince won't touch that shit. I hope they steer clear of that one. But there's plenty that they could do with some of the other companies that would help WWE, but it would also help those companies. NWA could use the boost right now because what the fuck is Billy Corgan doing? ROH could use it just because they could use some additional promotion. You know, get... They, they have a steady deal on because they're owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, but Vince Man's still the, the go-to for wrestling. So, you know, if they do anything with Vince, you know, that can only benefit them. And it won't hurt Vince. It won't hurt WWE at all. It won't even be a chink in their armor. And what, again, might actually help them. So I look forward to seeing who Triple H was referring to. But... I don't have any unrealistic expectations. I do not expect all of a sudden Vince McMahon and Tony Khan to team up and be like, well, we should, you know, run our companies in similar ways and we should cross promote and have our champions battle each other. Fuck that. No, they'll never do that. But some of the other ones, I, I could see some, some of those smaller ones, you know, being able to do some crossover stuff with NXT maybe, or probably just NXT, but that, that would work. And it's smart business. Fresh faces, get to scout some talent, you know, and for ROH or MLW or NWA, if the talent that you have that does not have experience on a large stage like WWE, you doing any form of cross promotion gives them experience. 
And if they can work a stadium that could hold 10,000 people, then they could work whatever the hell arenas, you know, those companies work. Could only help. That's my opinion. Nothing to, um, it's nothing really outlandish. It's nothing surprising. It's only surprising if you don't pay attention to wrestling history, the idea that, oh, Triple H says WWE is willing to work with other companies. Yeah, they kind of always have. It's not anything new. Okay, now that we've got me ranting out of the way of wrestling, because I'm done, that's that's all the wrestling questions I have thus far, we're going to go into some you know more everyday series type of shit that m- more of the rest of you might actually care about. Um, another question I was asked was, how did you handle virtual learning as a foster parent? Oh, so first off, when COVID happened, that's the whole reason that I started working from home, that I had to switch jobs in order to work from home, because as a foster parent who's also a single parent with a, at the time, eight-year-old who, I mean, he definitely could not remain at home by himself. He was not that level of mature. I had to be home. And then, you know, and I had to do some virtual learning with him, even though he was only in second grade, because he has an IP and he needs additional help that, you know, he needs attention. He needs an adult to work with him consistently. So his second grade teacher did, you know, she figured out how to work Zoom, um, which she was older. So that was a bit of a thing. But once we got into that, you know, she would Zoom with him each day. She was working with him on reading. He was you know, advancing. And then, you know, the summer hit and he did one whole week of summer school because apparently that's all summer school is now a waste of my damn time. Um, But when we actually came to the new school year and it was time to do the uh, virtual learning, my experience is going to be a little different from the typical parent's response. And not because I'm a foster parent. It's just the way that my child learns is a little different. So the only real struggle that I had is my son being a a little bit behind, like he can do the basic workings of a device, but the moving from one Zoom meeting to another Zoom meeting to a fucking Google Meets meeting back to Zoom, that's very confusing for him. Um, And I imagine it still is. So I, the only thing that I really had to do for him was I had to change him into each room. He could not figure out how to do that on his own because the, uh, the thing to understand with my eight-year-old, who's now nine, is that he is be- behind grade level in reading. And while he can read, um, if your names are a little too weird, like, because he eventually figured out how to switch Zoom meetings because it was just go to here and click on this link. But when his teacher switched from Zoom to Google Meets, because for some reason she couldn't be heard as well on Zoom as she could Google Meets, well, that was confusing because he had to type in her last name, and her last name is Horseman. And for a kid who, even though he's in second grade, is kind of on a kindergarten reading level, her name doesn't work for him. It doesn't compute in his brain because he's like, I, that doesn't, how the hell do I spell that? Because he can't, he can't spell that. He can't sound that out to spell it. Like, I could try to enunciate it, but that's too much too much on his brain. So I would have to log him into that. 
Now, aside from one hiccup where I was alerted about halfway through the quarter that he missed a few assignments and I had to go ape shit for a minute. I had to turn into the dragon that I'm named after. I didn't have any problems with virtual learning. He was already, he thrives on routine. So he already had a routine as far as when we would wake up in the mornings, you know, him, you know, he wakes up, goes to the bathroom, washes his face, brushes his teeth, all that shit, takes his meds, eats breakfast, goes, you know, to that was the norm. And then we would be out the door before COVID. And now it was, okay, well, you do all that. And then I signed you into the computer. Also, because of his, you know, behavior issues, he didn't have a lot of access to electronics before school because he kept pissing me off. And since he loved electronics so much, I kept fucking taking them. So him finally getting to touch a computer is exciting for him. So he was able to be more attentive. And then he kind of likes school and he understands that he's behind where he should be because he realizes he doesn't read as well as some of his classmates and he wants to get better. So I did not have some of the problems that I'm hearing other people have had. It wasn't an issue for me. In addition to that, even though he has ADHD, if it's something he likes, he can focus on it. So by combining something that he may not always want to do with something he likes, the electronic, I found I was able to get him to focus better at home doing virtual learning than he was when he was in regular school in a classroom setting. There's less distractions for him. So there's less kids acting out. Now, could there be kids in the Zoom meeting that act out? Yes. But see, the fun part is that the teacher could go mute them and he didn't have to pay attention to that. And then you have a little bit more direct access to parents if we're at home and you're not going to clown while us parents are at home if parents are like me, because we'll turn the Zoom off real quick and tell your teacher you're going to be back in 10 minutes and beat your ass and then send you back. It only said 10 minutes because you that there's a couple minutes for me to whoop your ass and the rest of the time for you to calm down, wash your face and go back in there and get to work. Right. So. For him, he was able to focus better. I saw a consistent willingness to do his work. After, like I said, we had one hiccup where he missed a couple of assignments where he momentarily forgot my name and that I will fuck his world up and he's still going to do that work. I got what I wanted in the end. He, he, had to, he just needed a reminder that school is not a play thing. I don't play about grades. Your one thing that you have to do in life right now as an eight-year-old is school. So I expect it done, and I expect it done properly. I didn't have any problems with him. And then when we look at my 14-year-old, I didn't have, I don't have problems with him either because, again, he doesn't get much access to electronics. Him doing virtual learning allows him to focus on his work, and, you know, he likes computers. Gives access to something that he doesn't have, and, you know, he also likes school. So... My children kind of understand I don't play when it comes to school. Now, we're not going to talk about the fucking 17-year-old because that dumbass wasn't in school. 
and left my home before I really had to register him from school. And, you know, supposedly was, you know, supposed to be going for a GED. I don't know what the hell he's doing now. Um, but the virtual learning thing for my household worked better. Like I'm in the other room. So when he did have a moment or two where he would seem like he might get a little rowdy, I can mute my call because I do work in a call center. I can mute my call and yell in there, what the hell are you doing? And, you know, or shut the hell up or whatever I need to say to get him to not yell at his classmates. And if it got, you know, too extreme, I can place, you know, somebody on hold real quick, act like I'm researching something, get up, walk into his room and ask him who the fuck he was talking to. And for a child like my children, you know, who struggle with behavior in school, especially you know, when I'm not around, it actually makes it a little easier on the teacher because when he's in that classroom, <laughs> you on your own until I get there. At home, I'm literally across the hall. I have to walk four feet to get to your room, sir. And as long as whatever I do is not recorded, I don't get any charges. Like, I can come in and I can regulate and, and refocus him. And if you need to get hold of me, you're emailing me throughout the day, which his teachers would do on occasion. Like, hey, could you ask him not to do this? Could you ask him to mute his mic if he's not the one talking? Could you ask him to sit up in class? You know, whatever it was. I get a message and could go rectify the situation and we didn't have problems. A lot easier from, you know, from virtual learning than I can when he's in the classroom and I'm at work and, you know, have to take breaks and clock out and drive to come handle you. So for me, virtual learning was easier. I understand for other parents, you know, it's a lot harder. And there is the aspect that all of us have to deal with of the kids not having enough social interaction with people their own age that maybe aren't related to them. I get that. And it was a little bit of, of that struggle with me and the eight-year-old. Um, I felt um, I did have to occasionally get up and, you know, we would have to go out and I would have to take him over to my best friend's house um, so he could, you know, be around some kids his own age. And, you know, it's kind of impossible to cut off all interaction, you know. So in order to give him some, I go with the people that I can trust that I know are sitting at home and not trying to expose themselves to COVID. But other than that, virtual learning for me, I actually kind of preferred it. Speaking of the kids, I had a question basically asking how am I adjusting to being in Arizona and, you know, not having the responsibility for the kids and all that. Let me clarify a little something. First off, I still have responsibilities to, to my children. You may, you may see it differently because they're not here with me physically or I don't have the same quote-unquote legal responsibilities. None of that shit ever mattered to me. That's technical stuff that doesn't, doesn't mean fuck all of anything to a 9-year-old or 14-year-old autistic child. We're not talking about the 17-year-old. But as noted by the previous show, I have had a bit of difficulty with 
um, not having my kids with me. But also, my responsibilities did not end when I left St. Louis. I still speak with the younger two children. Again, we're not talking about the 17-year-old because he's he's him, whatever. But for the younger two who are more attached and less, ironically, childish, um, my responsibility is to end. You know, the eight-year-old had turned nine on November the 20th, so, you know, I had stepped in. Um, I'd called to check on him. I'd been calling, and I called to check on him and found out, you know, his behavior is kind of what it was with me, but his current foster father is struggling a bit more to deal with um, because it's a bit more extreme than what he was accustomed to seeing from my child. And I still had a talk with him the same way I spoke to him when he was in my home. I spoke to him now that he's not. I still call and check on him. I still send him a birthday gift. I still, you know, got a call for him from him to say thank you. And I reminded him again that he needed to behave and that in this case, you know, his current false father does not have to continue to put up with his bullshit and will not put up with it as long as I did. And for my 14-year-old, I still am in every facet his dad. I am still who he calls every time he gets a chance. I am still who talks to him about anything that changes. I talked, you know, I've dealt with each of his moves and placement. I have dealt with the changes in staffing and how that affects him. I have dealt with problems with him in staffing, which he's not currently having in the, in the facilities in right now. Right now, he seems to be doing a lot better than in any facility he's ever been in, ironically, um, considering that this facility didn't always have a very good reputation either. Um... I am who, you know, does the birthday thing, the Christmas things, the, you know, I'm still going to get my call on Father's Day when that hits next year. You know, I'm still who he acknowledges as dad. I am in meetings for him at least once a month. I am talking to all of his caseworkers. I am involved. I am, you know, able to influence certain decisions. I am able to issue warnings. I am able to kind of issue punishments from afar, even. You know, if I hear something that's less than favorable, I can call, you know, I can talk to his, um, the staff at the facility and be like, hey, um, take this from him. You know, take, take his snacks from him for a while. I, and my responsibility doesn't really change because I'm still making sure that he's provided for. I'm still advocating for him regularly. I am still parenting him. I'm still parenting the little one. You know, I don't have to do as much directly for my littlest one yet, but whatever is needed, I'm still doing. And I still have that moral and obligation that, you know, one could say I gave myself, but still to continue to see them into adulthood, whether I'm doing it on a day-to-day -day basis or not. You know, I still want them to know, no matter what they, they 
go through that dad or whatever the hell label they call me, this person, me, Draco, was the one that did what he said, that was always there to be supportive in some way, shape, or form, that, you know, even from a distance, found ways to get them things that they needed and sometimes things that they wanted. You know, I hold them just as accountable now as I did when they were in my home for their behavior and their choices. I am as hard or as lenient on them as I need to be, even from a distance. It is harder on me personally because I cannot oversee them on the everyday, day-to-day things that I had been as easily. You know, I'm not the one issue, you know, making, um, you know, I'm not waking them up in the mornings. I'm not putting them in the bed at night. I'm not even responsible for their meds. And I, even though I know what meds they're on and I will continue to get updates on this, it's just harder for me not having them with me where I can personally oversee things in the most direct way. I'm having to oversee it from a distance. And I can't regulate someone else's house. I can help ease the burden when possible, but I can't, you know, I can't regulate his house from afar. I can give suggestions. If he likes, I can be the one that tells the little one the punishments. But, you know, ultimately, that is his house. He has to decide that. My my goal is simply just, hey, I... I've been dad this long, so I'm like any other dad that's not in the house. Now, if I come home for a visit, though, and I have to regulate, well, <laughs> then I become more of the dad they know. And then, well, I mean, shit gets real. But as far as me being here in Arizona, Weather-wise, I'm okay right now. And yes, for everyone that might be in Arizona listening and it's like, well, you haven't been through a summer yet, I fucking get it, okay? I, I get it. We, ha- I haven't, I came in the fall. So I haven't quite experienced an Arizona summer, but you know what? You know what? You know what? I already anticipated that I would stay in inside where there's air conditioning as often as is humanly possible before I ever moved here, okay? I'm okay with that. Um, I have not been able to get out and do the whole, you know, you, you know, I was asked, you know, had I made any friends? No. And as far as dating, hell no. Um, and before, and in case you're wondering, yes, I still put myself out there or whatever, but this it is hmm, interesting. Um, Let's be real, at this stage in my life, I'm more likely to end up with a man. So that's generally what I'm pursuing. That's what I see myself ending up with. That's, I mean, I'm no less attracted to women, but I know I'm going to end up with a man, right? So the queer community here is extra. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit more the minority in more than one way here. You know, apparently... To speak some queer lingo, um, this is more of a bottom city. So any of us that top are like fucking unicorns or something here because there's so few tops. So apparently all the bottoms will go 
extra miles to keep their tops. And you don't even have to be a complete top. As long as you're willing to top, they're apparently going to fight over you. It's mildly hilarious, but and then it's also like there's I, there's less black queers here. Um, and I don't distinguish, you know, I, I don't discriminate against races at all. Um, just something that I've kind of noticed. There are less people that look like me you know, in the dating field here, but no one has really managed to grab my interest and keep it. Like, you get, I either get the usual, you know, one-timers, or, you know, I have one person that was very upfront with the fact that he just wanted a friend with benefits, and that's great, that's cool, and I'm okay with that for the time being. Um... But I just noticed there's more of the same here. You either get someone that is only interested sexually, or you get someone that moves entirely too fast, trying to force the relationship. And I'm like, if I've just met you, like, it's nice to know that your goal is a relationship, but don't assume, don't push or try to force what isn't there. Don't try to make a connection that isn't going to work. I am not desperate for a spouse, desperate for a partner or a significant other or any of that shit. I have been alone. I've been single for five and a half, almost six years. February will make six years that I've been single. February 16th, as a matter of fact, will make six years that I have been completely single. I don't give a fuck if I go six more years because I ultimately want to, if I'm going to enter into a relationship, I would like it to be nothing like my previous ones. And I don't want to rush. I don't want, I will never be in a relationship just for the sake of being one. I am not, so gung-ho to not have to raise my kids alone that I would settle for whoever the fuck is just, you know, willing to jump into a relationship. I am not one of those people that you should ask to cuddle. And you don't know me yet. I'm not big on cuddling any damn way. <laughs> but I've had a couple of people that that's like, they're like, oh, I just want to come over and cuddle. Cuddle? I don't even know your name, and you want to come cuddle. The fuck away from me. Now, I know some of you prudes are like, well, you don't always know, you know, their name or whatever, and you're willing to, you know, do something sexual. For the record, I probably know their name, or I have been told their name by the time that we get to that point. Whether or not I remember it is a totally different story and irrelevant to the point. Cuddling is more emotional to me. Like, you want me to just sit and be in your presence and be all hugged up and shit and watch TV and all that? Yo, I have to actually like you to tolerate that. If I don't know you, I don't like you. So, <laughs> that's kind of been what I've been getting since I've gotten here. And, you know, then I've gotten a couple of people that just are not what they try to portray themselves as. Like, 
We all have our tastes. I have a size limit, damn it. And my size limit is this. If I can compare you in any way to the fat Majin Buu, we're not going to work. If you have very questionable tastes, such as you know you're losing your motherfucking hair, right? And you decide to keep this one square patch of hair and grow a braid out of it. And this patch is on the back right side of your head. It's not even like right, not that it would be excusable anywhere, but it's just like it's such a random ass fucking placement. I am not mature enough to try to get to know you at that point because I am too busy trying to figure out why in the fuck you don't shave this patch of hair off. And yes, this is legitimately a person that tried to deal with me and I was so completely and utterly uninterested. And so that part of settling here, I, I mean... It's not terribly different from where I, from St. Louis, except that there are far more bottoms here. And they are some needy motherfuckers, too. Like, they can be direct, but they're needy and pushy and possessive. And I'm, I get annoyed. And, and most of them are size queens, too. And, you know, size queens just tend to turn me off. As far as the city itself, I, you know, have done a little bit of venturing here and there where I thought it was safe. I will likely do more as I go and, you know, do some deliveries for Postmates or DoorDash or whatever. What I've seen, I, you know, I'm comfortable with as long as I'm in the city. Now, if you try to get me to go through the motherfucking mountains again, you have me fucked up. I will say this. I hate the highways here. There are so many more sharp-ass curves in their highways for no damn reason here. And everyone wants to hit the curve. Doing the, the sharpest of the curve, they want to hit that bitch doing like 75. And I'm like, no, no. I will slow down to about 50. It's a sharp-ass curve. And I'd like to not go careening off the side of the goddamn bridge. Which is why certain people will no longer be driving me around here because they scare the shit out of me. Um, keeping on that same subject, though, people here, the driving here, like the way that people would just continue to ease the fuck out into a main road coming off a side road when they see you coming down the main road and you don't have no goddamn stop sign or a stoplight and they just want to keep easing out. There have been a lot of fucking accidents since I've been here that were easily preventable by using your fucking brake and waiting until you actually have a clear opening to get merge out into traffic. There seems to be an aversion to turn signals here. Motherfuckers just like to jump across three lanes on a fucking five lane highway or whatever with no turn signals. They just dart across. 
And I will say it takes me a lot longer to get to see any fucking body I know here. Of the few people that I know, like all of us are at least 25 minutes or so in different directions from each other. And at times, especially after work, I'm lazy. If it's going to take me 25, 30 minutes to get to your house, I ain't fucking coming. Um, other than that, you know, I am adjusting as well as I can. I am adjusting to having... I haven't been in a one-bedroom apartment in fucking six, seven years. So I'm adjusting to that again. It's weird cooking because I'm so used to cooking in large portions. And trying to scale that bag and cook only for myself is kind of impossible, to be honest. Like, even today, I just made, you know, chicken Alfredo, and I did not just cook half the damn, you know, I didn't just do like a half box of noodles or no shit like that. No, I opened it. I'm cooking the whole damn thing. I'm eating the damn whole damn thing. Might take me a couple days. Might not. Who knows? But I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm finding it harder, you know, to scale myself back. And in some cases, I'm just not going to. In some cases, I might be able to pull it off. Um, cost of living is a little higher, but, you know, I can pay more out here, too. So it's it's an adjustment. And hopefully, you know, after I get a little more settled, a little more adjusted and a little bit more caught up on some bills, um, I will get to explore a little more and, you know, really get into life here. And I don't know, I might hang up the idea of actually dating just because it just seems to be so much of the same bullshit here. There just seems to be a worldwide thing right now. This generation doesn't date anymore. Um, which hell, I was okay with that before, so... I'm not starved for company or anything. I will say, you know, it does get a little mm, draining, you know, because I'm here and I've not been alone so much in so fucking long. A little weird, but I don't necessarily want to even get used to it because I know at some point I'm going to resume fostering, whether it's getting my two or yeah, the two little kids that I, a little were kids that I left behind or just fostering here and getting new children, which I will eventually do regardless. Um, I know that's my goal to start up in the near future. Give me four or five months though. So yeah, that's how I'm adjusting. Okay, now we're going to deal with something else a little bit more COVID, uh, more directly COVID-related, actually. One question I was submitted was, why are people so opposed to wearing a mask? Now, the simple answer would be they're stupid. And I kind of maintain that answer. However, they're stupid actually lies in not just the, the kind of poke fun of them stupid type thing, but in actual willful ignorance. Despite living, in my case, in what is supposed to be the greatest country in the world, and for everyone that is an international listener, yes, I know that's bullshit every time we say it, okay? 
But since America thinks of itself that way, I'm going to fucking play on it. If we're supposed to be the greatest country in the world, the richest country in the world, all that shit, one would think we might. And then, you know, we always kind of are the country that goes and sticks our nose in other people's business that when we really need to shut the fuck up and worry about our own shit. Um, you would think that we would be a little bit more educated, but we're not exactly the highest country, you know, the highest ranked country on education, are we? We have a lot of people, as evidenced by the fact, and I'm going to throw a little politics in this, that we somehow got stuck with four years of Donald fucking Trump as president. They don't give a shit about facts. They don't give a shit about rights. They don't give a shit about others. All they give a fuck about is themselves and whatever their closed-minded little circle is. So for the religious nuts that he appealed to, all they cared about was that he said he hate abortion. And give a fuck about the fact that he probably has several ex-wives, ex-girlfriends, mistresses, or whatever that have all had abortions. Ain't give a fuck about any of that. He said he hated abortion, so the religious nuts loved him. He said he go he he likes Jesus or whatever the fuck he said to appeal to them. I don't know something along those lines. He appeals to the lowest common denom- you know denominator here and. The problem with that is, is the lowest common denominator makes up a lot of fucking people in this country. So the people that have it in their mind that they don't have to wear a mask. They don't like the inconvenience. They don't like having to remember one more thing. They don't believe that it helps stop the spread, even though a bunch of scientists have all said that, hey, if you do this, we could totally cut down the number of cases. If you would just do this for however fuck long we say. And originally, I think it was like two weeks or some shit like that. All you had to do is wear a mask. And we wouldn't have this problem. But see, we have this orange ass hat in office that says, oh, no, this wasn't a big deal. And this was a Democrat hoax. That was what he told us when he fi- when it finally came out and he could not suppress the story anymore. It's a Democrat hoax. Democrat hoax now, huh? Aren't we at like 200,000 or some deaths now or some shit like that because of this? It's hoax. And his followers will believe whatever he says because they are so desperate to to get their way. So for the really rich ones, they're determined to keep their little tax breaks. For the poorest dirt dumb fucks, they're determined that they are going to regulate everything. They are going to regulate the black people. They're going to regulate the women. They're going to regulate the gays and the trans. And, you know, no one's going to have any rights but them. They're going to follow along with him. These are the people that are the ones that are like, well, I don't need to wear a mask. Until a couple of people around them die of COVID. But some of them are such sticklers, they'll still say, well, the mask doesn't help anyway. So I can't justify why these stupid people don't want to wear a mask because I'm a logical person. If a person who's a scientist and a specialist on disease and all that shit tells me, hey, this disease here fucks you up and kills you within a matter of days, depending on, you know, I don't know. What the hell does it depend on? Your luck? Whatever. If you get this shit, you're probably going to die. It's going to be a painful die. You're going to end up on the damn ventilator. And if you want to avoid all of that, put this stupid piece of cloth across your face anytime that you go out in public. I think I'm going to go that route rather than assume that I know better than the person who specializes in this shit. Or 
assume that an orange fuckwit that lies with every three words that come out of his mouth knows better than him. Yeah, no, I'm going to go ahead and go with the person that specializes in this shit. I'm going to do what they say. Unfortunately, we just have to have a large amount of people who can do that. Or because there's you're being told, well, you know, the cases are really high in your area. You really don't need to do large family gatherings or go out to restaurants and all of this shit that's not necessary for you to do in, in a lot of cases anyway. Yeah, we all need some form of social interaction. But hey, if I could prevent us from getting COVID by staying away from people for two weeks, frankly, that wouldn't bother me very much. Hell, you can make it, you can increase that up to two months and it wouldn't bother me that much. Time at home by myself. I don't have to be around humans. I don't have to deal with their dumb shit. Don't have to deal with their problems. Don't have to listen to some of the things they say. Fine. Fuck it. And don't have to argue with family members about, I don't know, everything from sexuality to how I raise my kids to, um, how they raise theirs. Hey, I have no issue with that. I would have no issue with that. But these people that don't wear masks, they have an issue with that. And they're stupid. It's kind of no other way that I can really justify that because you can't expect a logical, sane person or a sane acting person, at least, to explain the logic of morons and followers that's just what they are and in case you needed a reminder this is an opinion show so if you don't like it fuck off okay now to get to a couple of other questions one of them is really quick and specifically says when is sniper making another guest appearance this is for magaya people Jeremy, this question was for you, technically. I'm going to answer it the best way I can. When he decides to set aside a time to be on the podcast again, Jeremy will be back for something. He just needs to figure out a time where he's available and I'm available to record and which topic he wants to speak on. I'm sure I have a few. Next question, though. And we're going to get more into the serious ones again. And this one was surprising. Now, understand, for those of you that might get up in arms about this one, I'm, this question comes from someone who's overseas. So he only go, can go by what he sees on TV, basically, or in the news. Um, he asks, are you happy with how Black Lives Matter claims to represent you? I had to give this question some thought. Here is my thing. The saying Black Lives Matter is what I support and what the organization is supposed to stand for is what I am supportive of. Essentially, for me, it's important that it be understood that we're not saying, it doesn't say only Black Lives Matter. It says Black Lives Matter because America has a history of Black Lives Not Mattering. As far as the actual organization, I don't really know. Here is my thing. I've said this before in a previous podcast, and I'll just go ahead and reiterate it here for those that didn't hear that one. I do not think 
in the way that people traditionally around me tend to think as far as how I think we should respond when we're targeted by police or by the KKK or the Proud Boys or whatever the fucking races call themselves now. I am not a Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. type of advocate. I don't believe in peaceful protest. Not in situations like this. I am far more Malcolm X. I am more militant. My response to these things is not the response that Black Lives Matter or any of the other organizations probably really want to take. I am more of an eye for an eye type of guy. I am of the opinion that we will not get justice in our through the courts as they currently stand and as has been proven to us time and time again when one of our own gets gunned down and the first thing that you have to do is try to discredit the dead person. And, you know, it not be acknowledged that the police are not supposed to shoot to kill right off the bat. And it not be acknowledged that you created the fucking Blue Lives Matter hashtag bullshit because you didn't want to admit there's a problem with the way those blue lives view our black lives. And we all know the Blue Lives Matter thing makes no goddamn sense because one of these things is a choice. It's an occupation. One of these things is what you're literally born as and you don't have a fucking choice. I cannot say that the Black Lives Matter organization does not do any good. It is nice to have a voice out there attempting to, you know, make some form of a difference. Their strategy just isn't mine. Um, Mine is a little harsher than the average black person. You know, not a lot of people would be willing to get their hands dirty or, you know, outwardly say that, They think we should fight back a different way. They want to try to play a system that historically doesn't work for us. How many years after Emmett Till was executed, did they finally clear his name after the bitch that accused him of whistling at her admitted that she made it up? How many times... Do we see cops and the racists buckle down on why they did what they did, even though it was wrong and illegal or immoral or whatever the fuck? How many times have we as black people gone to a doctor and been told, we don't feel the pain that we say we feel because it's still taught apparently that black people don't feel pain the same way white people do. So my other thing would be this, especially for those of you that are overseas, some people 
here in America, namely the orange fuckface, would like you to believe that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. My counterpoint to you, if you are aware of what the KKK is, please understand that while our reigning president and a lot of the Republicans would like to consider Black Lives Matter, the organization, to be a terrorist group, the KKK has still not been declared as a terrorist group, and they have been terrorizing the Black community for, what, 70-some years or so now? If you are under the mistaken impression that the Black Lives Matter organization does anything terrorist in nature, please understand who that narrative is coming from. It is coming from those that would like to see us shut up. It is coming from those who want the system to continue as it is because the system as it is profits them and not us. Be wary of which news organization you follow. And always look at the source. If it's coming out of fucking Donald Trump's mouth, it's bullshit. He still can't condemn white supremacists at all, really. Probably because he is one. Not sorry. But whichever one you heard it from, and whichever newscast you call it from, if, you, if you're getting an impression that Black Lives Matter does terroristic shit, trust me, they ain't doing shit terroristic. They're not doing anything that someone with a more militant mindset would like to see done. The Black Lives Matter organization is not burning cities down in protest. It's not causing riots. They do stage peaceful protests. It's normally people standing and talking to make a point about the shit that was wrong with our system or how we've been wronged. So if the question is more, do I like being perceived as a terrorist or a thug? Well, sweetie, I've always been perceived as that. That's what being black in America is. Look at the cases that we've dealt with. Trayvon Martin was killed for wearing a hoodie, walking in a neighborhood with a bag of Skittles or what, and a Mountain Dew or a tea or whatever it was. Because he had a hoodie on. And he didn't stop for a motherfucker who has no authority to stop anyone ever whatsoever. And this shit stain of a human being is... Was, before COVID, going around signing autographs and signing people's guns. He's proud of the fact that he ended the life of a teenager for absolutely no reason. We don't have to do anything to be perceived here as being a thug, a troublemaker. We don't have to do anything other than exist. All we have to do is simply be and 
we're automatically labeled a thug. Uh, we're violent. We're hyper-masculine. We're overly aggressive, animalistic, monkeys, whatever the hell you want. Whatever derogatory label you can come up with, we get labeled that because we're black. So Black Lives Matter as an organization is definitely not terroristic. They don't do anything terrorist-like. They're simply using their voice to say, hey, we're sick of being shot by police simply because we're black. We're sick of being unjustly imprisoned for longer periods of time for the same offense as a white guy. We're tired of being held up at traffic stops and not making it home. We're tired of being scared every time we see a cop's lights come on that we're not going to make it home. That is the point that they're trying to make. Now, no organization is perfect. So, and I don't know in detail every single solitary thing that Black Lives Matter has done. But I do know that there is that narrative out there that has been bolstered by the orange shit stains administration that black lives matter is a terrorist group. And again, I point out the KKK has not been declared a terrorist group. I would also point out that most so-called terrorists in America were created by America. We have more domestic terrorism than we ever had terrorism from the Middle East or whatever. You know how after 9-11, everyone got all hyped up against the Muslims? No one wanted to admit that most of our terrorist, you know, threats come from within. Most terrorist attacks are Americans. That one wasn't. But you kind of say we created that one too. Just saying, we did kind of set up those governments over there. So, circling back, point of the matter is, if you're overseas and you perhaps are unclear on the goals of the Black Lives Matter organization, or you feel that they are in a are seen, or, or you view them as more of a terrorist group, just keep in mind that is. First off, bullshit. Secondly, it's just another way for Orange Face to continue to hate people. But <laughs> I mean, he's hated, he's always hated black people anyway. So it's just another way for him and his administration to try to keep their little stranglehold on whatever power it is they think they have and to demonize us to lessen the problems that we're bringing to the surface in the eyes of the rest of the world. Pay more attention to what the organization is saying before you, you know, assume that we, they are not representing black people in a positive light. That's my stance on it. Um, I didn't feel like doing hours worth of research to see, you know, what else Black Lives Matter, the organization has done lately. 
I know enough to say that I can't say that I'm like ashamed of how they represent us. They just don't use methods that I would use. So one more question here and I got to appreciate that I've been given a couple of questions that I just wouldn't expect to be asked. So this one was, it asked me, how do you feel about the Fed printing trillions and does it concern you? And I had to do at least a, a little bit of research to figure out what the fuck he was talking about. I don't follow these things. So I went to like the Federal Reserve website because we have that. Um, and it pops right up in Google when you ask the question. And basically, um, there have been some orders to print new notes, dollar bills, whatever you want to call them. Um, and at least partially it is attributed to the current pandemic crisis with COVID. Um, and, you know, for those overseas that may not know this, we have, over here in the U.S., in stores lately, a lot of them have been asking us to pay with exact change or with a debit or credit card because we have a coin shortage, too. So... Seeing this information about a you know print orders normally wouldn't mean shit because it happens a lot when they need to circulate old bills out, apparently. Um, I have to say I'm not very knowledgeable on this situation, so what research I've done does give me a little bit of cause for concern because the way it's kind of worded, you know, the reasoning for printing all these new bills is not to circulate out the old ones. Um, It's a little, little strange, and I'm not, it's not very clear to me. It's, as with everything the government releases, it's kind of a, you know, a, a really vague answer as to why they're doing it. You know, they mention uh, it being heavily, you know, influenced by the pandemic, but, and they say that there's been an unprecedented demand for currency. Where this confuses me is that the demand, at least on my part, isn't for currency as in I just want you to hand me new notes. It's for currency as in I want you to fucking pay me so that I can pay my bills and survive. I am a little confused with their logic here. What is backing these new bills? Is, are, are you saying that this is just another circulation, but you're having to do more where you, you know, circulate the old bills out and put new ones in because all of a sudden people want paper money? Because why the fuck would we want that during a pandemic? All these different ways that y'all keep telling this COVID it gets transmitted and, and mainly comes through contact. 
why would I want to have to do more paper and coins, which means I have to touch stuff that people could have coughed on or sneezed on when they had COVID. Why would I want that instead of just using my damn debit card that I just have to swipe and I can, you know, sanitize afterwards? I'm a little confused. And so to answer your question, yes, I am a little concerned because I want to know, are they printing money for the sake of there being money? Like, or, you know, is this backed? I mean, obviously it's supposed to be backed by the Federal Reserve, but what's the point? Why are we really printing so much new money? That's interesting to me. And I feel like maybe more of us should research this shit so that we understand what the hell is going on here. I was not expecting this question. And I did a little research before I answered it. But I don't feel that I could do enough research to really do this question justice other than to say, based on what they say is their reasoning, yes, I am a little on the concern side with all of this amount, all of this money that they're printing. Now, it only shows... I don't know. I'm just a little confused. Like, are they printing it because they're redesigning each of these bills again? Like, are we taking someone else that really shouldn't be on there off of the money? Or what the fuck are we doing? I think... I don't see any more information on it readily available. And that would be the part that would concern me. I need more info. And now that you've given me this to go on, I might look a little bit further into this down the road because now I'm interested. Why are we doing this? Why are we printing more money? Because that's not what the hell we've been asking for over here. What the hell we've been asking for is jobs that pay us a decent fucking wage. What we're asking for is some forgiveness on this damn rent, especially if you live out here on the coast where it's high as fuck. What we're asking for is a little leniency on some of these car loans and these credit card loans. And what we really want is for y'all to get rid of our student loans. I especially would be grateful because my credit score would be so much better without those. I don't really, I'm like, I don't, I don't need you to print currency that has no real value or has less value. I, I just need you to pay me more money or give us some forgiveness on some rent or some, some loans and cards and, you know, give us give us some relief from all that shit. Don't give me more loans. I don't need any more loans. I don't need any more loans in, for the rest of my fucking life. I, at this point, I never intend to buy a house because I don't want a damn mortgage. That's how sick of paying any form of loan I am right now. Once I pay off my car, I, I kind of would like to reach a point in life where I never have to pay on a car again. But, you know... This doesn't really jive with what we were asking for. This whole unprecedented, uh, unprecedented uh, urgency for currency or whatever the fuck they said. Um, no. Especially, you know, for those of us that are a little bit getting more germaphobic right now. Like, no, no, I don't, I don't need more reason to come into contact with people. I, I, I just need more, more funds allocated to me to survive off of. So... There you go. There is my answer to that one. Okay, so um, this pretty much wraps up the Q&A for today. Now, if I were to get some more questions, I'd do another Q&A or uh, follow up to this one. So 
there's your cue. If you uh, like the Q&A format and, and have some more interesting topics or, you know, have something else on these subjects you really want me to delve into, then feel free to, you know, send those to me. You can send them on my website on dracosden.com um, or on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at dracosden, spelled the same way as the website and as the podcast here. Um. I'm not sure what other topics will be done next. I definitely want to do some more shows where, you know, um, we'll have some other people involved. So just kind of depends on some schedules and which topics folks want to speak on. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off here. Um, Everyone, you know, it's COVID is still a thing. So, you know, wear your mask, use your hand sanitizer, wash your hands. Uh, stay the hell home, especially out here in Arizona, because our case numbers just keep going up for no damn reason. So, you know, stay home, stay away from people, stay safe. Catch you guys next time. Ooh, ooh, ooh.